Once upon a time, there was a young boy named Johnny. Now, Johnny lived in a good home with a loving father and mother. And as a member of the, his family, John was expected, Johnny was expected to do certain chores. He had certain responsibilities that he needed to do. Now, Johnny didn't really mind having certain responsibilities because some of them he actually enjoyed doing. But one day, Johnny's father asked him to do a new chore. A chore he had never done before. On one side, this was exciting news because this meant Johnny was getting older. He had more responsibility. But on the other side, this specific chore was not particularly an enjoyable task. The job that Johnny had to to now do was to help feed his baby brother. And unfortunately, this baby brother was rather fussy and very messy. When Johnny's dad told him about his new chore, Johnny was categorically not interested. How could he, a mature, an older mature six-year-old be expected to do something that was so far beneath him. So Johnny decided right then and there that he had had enough. If this was the kind of house he was going to be expected to do things like that, he was not going to stand for it. And he told his father as much. As it was, Johnny's dad really wasn't up for negotiating what chores Johnny was and was not going to do. And so Johnny loudly stomped into his room to gather all of his valuable possessions because as he, he was going to, as he put it, run away and never, ever come back. Now Johnny's dad could have stopped him right then and there. He could have locked him in his room. He could have even asked one of the other children to feed the baby so that Johnny wouldn't have to. But he didn't. He didn't because his goal was not to just feed the baby or even force Johnny into obedience. No, his goal in the chores was for Johnny to grow. And so as Johnny stomped down the stairs holding a slingshot, three packages of gum, and his favorite yo-yo, he walked outside to find his father waiting with his boots on and a walking stick in his hand. I mean it, Dad. I'm really running away. Johnny's dad just nodded and quietly joined Johnny along his side as Johnny walked away from the house. For a while, Johnny kept on expecting that his dad was going to make him stop, not let him get too far, but he didn't. So Johnny started feeling pretty good about himself. It was about time he became independent. After all, he was six years old. And so Johnny kept walking taking one turn and then another, wherever his heart desired, finding new places, places he had never been. Johnny's dad kept following silently, but every once in a while, he would ask a question. Questions like, Johnny, do you know where you are? Johnny, do you know how to get home? Johnny ignored those questions. Who cares where he was and who cares how to get home? He was independent. He wasn't going home. He was running away. So they kept walking. Now, Johnny's father actually had a lot of experience, not only with runaway little boys, but also lost boys, because Johnny's father was actually the sheriff 
in this local town. And so Johnny's father knew how to react. And what Johnny knew, Johnny's father knew is that the difference between a runaway boy and a lost boy was really just the matter of a personal perspective. See, both boys were lost. The runaway boy just wasn't willing to admit it yet. And so they kept walking. Johnny stubbornly avoiding his father and his father patiently waiting for Johnny to recognize his lostness. And Johnny's father would continue walking and questioning until he did. Our big idea this morning is that God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. As we continue this new series in Jonah, I want to just remind us of our two goals, the two things that we want to accomplish as we study Jonah. These are the things that by the end of the series, I hope are true or closer to being true in all of our lives. The first goal is that God would accomplish his purposes through us and not in spite of us. We saw last week that God always accomplishes his purposes. He saved the sailors without Jonah's help. He did it in spite of Jonah, not through Jonah. But even though God does not need us, he wants us. He wants us to be part of his plan. He wants to work through us. So our first goal is that God in our church, in each of us, would accomplish his purposes through us, not in spite of us. Our second goal is that we would have a heart of mercy for the lost like God. Throughout the book of Jonah, we see that God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. God has a heart of mercy for the lost. He has pity for the lost. My prayer is that we as a church would have hearts of mercy for the lost around us. Turn right now to Jonah 1. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses of chapter 1. We're, this morning we're going to see that Jonah has lost his way. Jonah is a runaway, but he's unwilling to admit that he's lost. And yet the whole time Jonah is running, God is pursuing him. He's showing him time and time again, Jonah, this is the way back. This is the way home. God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. Let's read the first two verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The book of Jonah begins with God's command. He tells Jonah to call out against Nineveh. Why? Why does God want Jonah to call out against Nineveh? Well, as it says in the text, their evil has come up before God. They are lost. God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh and warn them of their current condition. 
That's God's command. Jonah, go to them. And Jonah has a choice. The choice that we all have when God commands us to do something. Will Jonah obey or will he run away? Jonah's choice is not what we would expect a prophet of God to do. What what should happen right now? What would we expect a prophet of the Lord, one of God's creations, to do when the God of the universe speaks directly to one of his creatures? What would we expect to happen? Obedience. That's the obvious expectation. But God gives his creation the ability to choose. He lets Jonah choose what he is going to do. Will he go and call out against the lost or not? Look at verse 3. The first time that we have this tension. But, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's choice was to refuse God's command and run away. Instead of calling out against the lost, Jonah finds himself lost. What's happening? The prophet, God's messenger, the one with whom God has directly communicated, is refusing the command. This is his job. But he chooses not to. Why? Why doesn't Jonah obey? In times past when I've read Jonah, it's always struck me as strange that Jonah refuses to take this particular message. Look what what God says. Go tell Nineveh, call out to them that that, uh, their evil has come up before me. Call out against them. Now, if the message had been, Jonah, go tell Nineveh that I am willing to forgive them. Tell Nineveh that I can make this work out. I would understand if Jonah was like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to take that message. That's that's a message of hope. I don't want to take a message of hope. But the message is call out against them for their evil has come up against me, come up to me. When I was a kid, one of the things that I loved doing, and I think that many of you, if you had siblings, also loved, I loved going to tell my siblings warnings. Dad said, if you don't stop, you're in big trouble trouble. I love those kinds of messages. Those are the messages that I wanted to take to my siblings. But Jonah doesn't want to take this message. Why does Jonah not want to take a message that at face value seems to be a message of punishment, of judgment? The first is because Jonah understands the message to be a warning. And what is a warning? A warning is not a verdict of condemnation. That's it. There's no more hope. A warning is a chance. God is giving Nineveh a chance to turn. No, uh, Jonah doesn't want to do that. Jonah's thinking, man, if I run away, maybe God will judge them like Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe God will destroy them. If I don't give them the opportunity, if I don't give them the warning, maybe God will destroy them. As much as Jonah makes many bad decisions, Jonah is also not an idiot. Jonah knows the character of God. 
Psalm 86, 5, a psalm of David, so a psalm written before Jonah was alive, says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Jonah knows God to be gracious to those who call on him. He knows that that's the character of God. So Jonah's not interested because it's a warning. Jonah's not interested because he knows the character of God. But Jonah's also not interested because of his own experiences. 2 Kings 14 talks about, says this, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Look at this. The condition here is that there is evilness. There's a new king, Jeroboam II, and there is evil in the land. But God still blesses him. He allows Jeroboam to restore the border of Israel from Lebohemath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. God demonstrated his mercy, steadfast love, and ability to relent from disaster to evil Israel. And Jonah was the one that was allowed to share the good news. Jonah doesn't have a problem sharing good news with evil people. He has a problem sharing good news with evil people who are his enemies. Jonah knows based on the nature of the warning of warnings, the character of God and his own ministry experiences that God is a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, and Jonah does not want to be the one who God uses to save the lost Ninevites. So here's my question. Do you think that Jonah's refusal, Jonah's running away, took God by surprise? Do you think God was all geared up? He was ready. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this great work in Nineveh. Jonah, I need you. And Jonah says no. And God's like, oh, my word. What am I going to do now? I was not, I did not see that coming. course not. Before God even made the request to Jonah, God knew that Jonah was going to run away. If God knew that, why did he still ask? It's not because he needed Jonah. If you remember, one of the themes is Jonah is that God accomplishes his purposes. He doesn't need Jonah to save Nineveh, but he still asks Jonah, that's because of our first principle. We're going to go through eight different principles, but our first principle is that God's commands expose our needs, not God's. When God gives a command to us, it's not because he needs something. He is perfect. He is complete. He is holy. The commands he gives us are for our benefit, God gave a command to Jonah that exposed Jonah's heart. 
God could have reached Nineveh in any way he chose, but he chose Jonah because he wanted to show Jonah his heart. Now, what should have Jonah done when he realized what God was asking him? What should Jonah have done when he said, God, that I don't have it in my heart to take that message to Nineveh. Jonah should have called out to God. He should have prayed, God, you're asking me to do something, to take a message of reconciliation to my enemies. God, I don't have that in me. But I know that if you're asking me this, that it is the right thing to do and what you are showing me is my heart. And so God, I am calling out to you. I am crying out to you. Change my heart. Make my heart like yours so that I can do what you have asked me to do. If Jonah right then had called out to God, the story would have been different. Jonah's heart would have been transformed. But Jonah's choice was to run away. Look what he does. It says in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a, sh a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is so against the mission God has given him, he is willing to run away or try to run away from God's presence. Now when we look at these verses, as outsiders, just looking at the story, does Jonah's plan make sense? Does it make sense for someone to say, I'm going to run away from God? The other day, I was talk uh, yesterday I was talking through the, my message with uh, my wife at the, uh, during lunch, and I was talking about this part, and my five-year-old son said, that's crazy. Who can run away from God? That's like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God. That's just crazy. And he's right. It is crazy. See, the problem is our second principle. That sin distorts our judgment and leads us down. Sin distorts our judgment and leads us down. When we choose to sin, we no longer think clearly. Sin leads us down and away from God. It takes us further and further from calling out to God. The, the author of Jonah does something fascinating here to contrast God's way and Jonah's. God says, arise, their evil has come up before me. The author then looks at Jonah and says, but Jonah rose, okay, that sounds good, to flee. And then he says he flees and goes down three different times. He fled down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And then later in verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. Later in chapter 2, when we look at Jonah's prayer, you'll see how many times Jonah will talk about being in the depths, at the roots of the mountains, cast into the pit. There's a contrast here. Sin distorts our judgment and leads us down. Unfortunately, it's easy for us to look at Jonah and say, what an idiot. It's easy for us to look at someone else and judge them on their actions without looking at our own heart. 
That's what Jonah was doing with Nineveh. Israel's evil, Nineveh's evil, but Jonah's not interested in looking at his own issue. Aren't we the same way? We have been commanded to go to the lost and call them to be reconciled to God to preach the gospel. Do we obey? Do we obey God's commands of evangelism or any of God's other commands? Do we understand that God's benefits are for our, God's commands are for our benefit? That when we struggle with his commands, we are exposing our own heart. Do we obey or do we, like Jonah, flee our mission? Do we refuse what God has called us to do and lose our way? If we have lost our way, we can't rely on our own judgment. When your heart is set on sin, if you think that you're going to reason your way out of it, that you're going to convince yourself from not sinning, you're wrong. You're going to make stupid decisions like Jonah. Oh, I can flee from God's presence. God doesn't care. I can do the sin. It'll be okay. We can't rely on our own judgment, but there's a way back. Call out to the Lord. Unfortunately, we're often not interested and we keep on running away. But thankfully, God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. We see here God's continued pursuit. He began his pursuit with the command to Jonah. That exposed Jonah's lostness. But now he continues his pursuit. He doesn't give up on Jonah. That's our third principle. God pursues the lost. He doesn't abandon them. God pursues the lost. Because a lost person can't find God on his own. It needs to happen first from God. God pursues Jonah first by causing a great storm. A storm so great that the very boat Jonah was on threatened to break up. On Monday, I took my kids uh, canoeing at Ford's Pond. So it was uh, Jack and Elena in the front, and I was in the back. We, they both had their life jackets on. Um, I had the life jacket with me. And we're canoeing. Now, Monday, I don't know if you remember, it got a little windy. Not as windy as Wednesday, but it got a little windy on Monday. Now, Ford's Pond is not a very big pond. And I was only about 20 yards, 30, 40 yards from the shoreline. The sun was shining. But I'll admit, when the wind started picking up and I was having a really hard time steering, wasn't sure if I was going to make it back to the launch, I got a little apprehensive. The sun's shining. I can see the shore. We have life jackets. Can you imagine being in the middle of the sea with the storm coming and it's threatening to break apart the ship you're in? God is pursuing Jonah. He wants to get Jonah's attention. He wants Jonah to do something that the sailors do. Look at the next verse. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part 
of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. But look back and see what the sailors are doing. They're crying out to their God. The sailors have the right idea, but the wrong God. They rightly recognize they cannot save themselves, and therefore they call out for salvation. Unfortunately, they are calling out to false prophets. But what an opportunity! Look at this! What good luck for them! They have the prophet of the one true God with them. This is a perfect scenario. You have pagan sailors, and you have the Lord's prophet. There is a storm that God is, has caused to pursue the lost. This is perfect. The prophet of God can show them what they need to do. Hey, you have the right idea. You're calling out to, to God. That's the right idea. But that God can't save you. That's a man-made God. You need to call out to Yahweh. Is that what happens? No. The pagans are praying, but the prophet is sleeping. He's insensitive to what God is doing. God continues his pursuit. God even uses the captain. Look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Again, notice the irony. God is using someone who is lost to chastise his prophet. What do you mean? What are you doing? Wake up. Notice what the captain says. Arise, call out to your God. That's what Jonah is supposed to do. That's what Jonah should have done from the start. Call out to God. God is exposing your heart. You need God to find your way back. But Jonah is still running away. Jonah is like Johnny. He's not yet ready to admit that he's lost. What we see here is Jonah is insensitive to God's pursuit. God is pursuing, but Jonah is not listening. Look back at verse 5. Where is Jonah in the middle of the storm? Where is the prophet while the pagans pray? He's sleeping. God is pursuing him through the storm, but he is sleeping on the boat. Now, when we think about someone sleeping on the boat in a storm, we often think about Jesus. Jesus slept on the boat during the middle of the storm and his disciples, and he, he chastised them and said, no, this is, a, this is fine. Very different kinds of sleep. God is sleep Jesus is sleeping because he trusts the Father completely. He knows that the Father's will will actually happen. Jonah is sleeping because his conscience is calloused. That's our fourth principle, that sin leads to a calloused conscience. Sin leads to a calloused conscience. Do me a favor. Think back on your life. Think on a time where God exposed a sin in your heart, but you were unwilling to address it. It was a sin that you kept on going to. Think through that. Think through a sin in your life that you were unwilling to address. Now try to remember where your conscience was at the beginning versus the end. When I think on my own life, 
the beginning of that process, my conscience was heavy. The things that I could not do because of that sin were things like sleeping. If there was sin that was unaddressed in my life, when I would lay down, that sin would keep on replaying in my mind because I knew it was something that I needed to be addressed, but I didn't. And do you know what happened? Later on, I started sleeping okay. My conscience became calloused. Jonah is sleeping on the boat. God is pursuing him, but he's insensitive to it. But sin also, our fifth principle is that sin is never a containable contamination. Sin is never a containable contamination. Jonah's initial sin was to refuse God's command. At that point, the people who had been affected by Jonah's sin were Jonah and Nineveh. But it didn't stay that way. Who's being affected now by Jonah's sin? Was Jonah able to contain his sin to say, the only person that this is going to really affect is myself and Nineveh, but God can take care of Nineveh. So really the only person this is going to affect is me. No. Look at what the captain says. The captain, the innocent captain, begs the prophet to pray because he says, perhaps your God will give us a thought that we may not perish. Jonah, this storm is not just affecting you. All of us might die because of this. But Jonah's insensitive to that. Jonah doesn't care. The innocent captain begs the prophet to pray, but the prophet remains silent. Because Jonah refused to deal with his sin by calling out to God, he consigned himself to sink further into sin. Jonah has lost his way. His conscience has become calloused. The contamination of sin was not contained. But God restlessly and relentlessly pursued him. Through the storm, through the sailor, God wants Jonah to see that the way back is to call out to God. But Jonah has proven insensitive to God's pursuit. Again, we need to reflect on our own lives. We are not unlike Jonah. How many times does God expose our heart, but our conscience has become calloused? We no longer are sensitive to God's pursuit. How many times do we think we can contain the contamination of our sin only to see it spread into every area of our life, no longer just affecting us, but affecting those around us? Are we sensitive to God's pursuit? Am I sensitive to his pursuit or has my conscience grown calloused? Am I sensitive to his pursuit or am I trying to contain the contamination on my own? Remember, there's a way out. God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. Let's look at verse 7. And they said to one another, the sailors, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Again, look at the irony in the book of Jonah. The sailors are seeking for a solution. They're looking. They're asking questions. The sailors know this isn't just a normal storm. Tell us on whose account this evil has come. They know that this is a God-ordained storm. The sailors aren't satisfied until they find out exactly what the cause of this evil is. And so they cast lots and they question Jonah. Again, there's an opportunity here. Do you see the irony? Who should be the one explaining to the pagans why this evil has come? Who should be the one explaining to the pagans that God is pursuing the lost? They are asking questions. But Jonah's life is inconsistent. They cannot see the clarity of God's truth in the inconsistency of Jonah's life. Look at what verse 9 says. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What? I'm sorry. uh, Okay, I must have missed something. Can, Can you, Jonah, can you repeat that for me? You fear the Lord who made all of this, but you're running away? Look at, what, look at them. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? The men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Look at those two things. I fear the Lord and I'm running away. God made the heavens and the seas. I will not call out to him in the middle of the seas during this storm. The sailors are asking. They're seeking. But Jonah is inconsistent. Here's our sixth principle. God's truth is confusing when it does not accompany transformation. God's truth is confusing when it does not accompany transformation. Is what Jonah said untrue? No. God did make the heavens. God did make the earth. God did make the seas. It's true. But it's confusing. Because Jonah says that while he is running away. Jonah says he fears the Lord, but when the sailors are exceedingly afraid, afraid being the exact same word for fear, they turn to Jonah and say, Jonah, call out to God. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do it. I fear him, but I'm not going to talk to him. I'm terrified to know how many times my sin has robbed me of opportunities to share God's truth effectively. How many times has God given me opportunities where I could share the truth of God's word? But I was unable because all I could do was confuse them by the lack of transformation in my own life. 
Can you imagine how different it would have been if Jonah had humbled himself right then and there and called out to God and said, you're right. I'm not being a good example of these things. I say that I fear the Lord, but I have not demonstrated that. I, the, I'm the reason that this is happening. I need to call out and repent to God. That's the way that back. But he doesn't. So God continues to relentlessly pursue the lost so that he would call out to him. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. We see the sailors' need here. They ask Jonah, What do we need to do in order to be saved from the storm? How do we get out of this? How do we survive? Can you imagine them asking them, Prophet! Jonah, what do we do? They know that this is a matter of life and death. The sea is getting more and more tempestuous. What an opportunity. A way for the prophet to demonstrate the way to God. Right now, Jonah could have so easily pointed them in the right direction. He could so easily say, we must call to God. I must repent from my sin but he doesn't. Instead, as the sailors are seeking for a solution, Jonah offers his own solution. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah is so close. He knows that he is the cause. He knows that the storm is because of him. He even knows that he should call out to God. We saw in Psalm 86, call out to the Lord. The sailors have reminded him, call out, cry out to your God. But Jonah doesn't see himself as lost. Jonah is still seeking his own solution. He is unwilling to call out to God and ask him for guidance he comes up with his own solution. At no point did Jonah ask God, God, what do I need to do to save them? We often think that Jonah ends up in the ocean as punishment. That God says, Jonah, to make this right, I'm going to put you through something. In order for, for us to rectify the wrong, you got to jump in the ocean. That's the only way. That's the only way that I'm going to be satisfied. God didn't tell him to do that. Jonah's not willing to do what God told him. And he's so unwilling that he's willing to die. Which is a theme in Jonah. Chapter 4, he's going to say that. I'd rather die. But it gets worse. Because who's Jonah asking to do his dirty work? If Jonah really was being compassionate for them, and he thought the solution was to, to be in the ocean, jump, get out of the boat. You got legs, you got arms, get out. No. He's sinking in his sin, and he's taking everyone down with him. Principle number seven is that sin leads us to seek man's way instead of God's way. Sin leads us to seek man's way instead of God's. We think we can figure it out. We think we can do things on our own. Again, 
are we unlike Jonah? Yes, we are talking in a disparaging way about Jonah. We are not presenting Jonah in a positive light. Unfortunately, we can't present ourselves in a positive light either. How many times are we surrounded by the sinking sailors of the world? How many times are we surrounded by people who need to be saved, but instead of pointing them to the gospel, instead of telling them that, yes, you do need to be saved, there is a holy creator God that you sinned against, that we have all sinned against, that because of that sin, that we have the wages of death, that we have a debt to God that we cannot pay. But God sent His Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man, to live the life we never lived so that He was the perfect sacrificial substitute on the cross when He died for our sins and rose again. But that the only way that that gospel is effective for you is if you respond by placing your faith in Christ, repenting, turning away from your sins, turning away from the ways that you sought to save yourself. Is that the solution that we are giving to the sinking sailors? Or are we inconsistently saying, oh, it's attending church. Oh, it's being a good person. Hey, why are you happy? Oh, I had a good week. I got a nice house. These are the things I'm pursuing. What are we telling the world the solution for salvation is? Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Once again, the irony, the sailors have compassion for the compassionless prophet. He's asking them to do the dirty work. Throw me overboard. And they're saying, no, no, we got to row back. We've got to try something else. They strive, but they are unable to prevail against God. And so they surrender. For the first time in this whole chapter, we began with God's words. And this is the first time we see someone actually address God. But it isn't the prophet. It's the pagans. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The pagan sailors are calling out for mercy to the God of Israel while the prophet of Israel watches in silence. Do you notice that they have that prayer? They call out to God, then throw Jonah overboard? Jonah, another opportunity. He sees the the pagans do what he should have done the whole time. They cry out to God for mercy. And he just watches unwilling to give up his solution, still wanting to run away, even if running away costs him his life. The sailors began calling each to their own gods, but here in the storm, as God pursued them, they called out to the one true God, and God saved them. 
the sea ceased from its raging, and the sailors did what, God sh- what Jonah should have done from the start. They feared the Lord, they offered sacrifices, and made vows. But as they do that, as they fear the Lord, as they offer sacrifices, as they make vows, where is the prophet? Jonah is sinking. Even as he watched the sailors pray to his God, Jonah refused to call out to the Lord. He chose his own way and was thrown overboard into the sea. And he is now sinking while the sailors are rejoicing. God's not done with Jonah. We're going to see next week what God does, that God delivers his unrepentant prophet. But as we conclude, I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, to Romans 10. Our eighth and final principle is this. God saves those who call on him. God saves those who call on him. Look at Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, you may find yourself to be lost in the same way that the sailors were lost. You are sinking in the storm of sin, and you do not know where salvation comes from. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. There is no other salvation. You can't row yourself back to shore. The wages of sin is death. Every single one of us here has a debt that would cost us an eternity separated from our holy God. But God sent Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, to pay that debt. So if you would be saved, you must call on the name of the Lord by turning away from your sin and whatever you think else you think would save you and trust in Christ alone. God saves those who call on him. But maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already placed your faith in Jesus, but like Jonah, you've lost your way. In that case, call on the Lord that's the way home. That's the way back. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your weaknesses to God. Confess your sin to God. Tell Him that you need Him in order to follow Him. We must call out to God. But if you remember a theme in Jonah, one of our goals is that we would have a heart of mercy for the lost. Again, look at that Romans 10 passage. We read verse 13, but let's look at what it says right after. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the principle. That's the promise. But here's the reminder of the mission. How will they call? on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. 
For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not only do we all need to call on God, that's the way back. But remember how the passage started. What was Jonah supposed to do at the beginning? Go to Nineveh, call out against it. Many of us have lost our ways. I've lost my way. How do we find our way back? Call on the Lord and then do the command he told you. Call on others. We are surrounded by the lost. Are we calling on to them or have we lost our way? God relentlessly pursues the lost so that they would call on him. Won't you stand with me as we pray? Father, I want to pray first just praising the fact that you relentlessly pursue the lost. God, that is something beyond our understanding, the grace and mercy that you show. But God, we confess now that we so often lose our way and we refuse to call on you, even knowing that's the way back. But we don't see ourselves as lost. We see ourselves as independent, as running away. God, work on our heart so that we see ourselves as lost and that we understand that you are the way back. Lord, we thank you that you save those who call on you. Lord, I just pray now that for all of us, that this would be our passion, that we would have a passion for the lost, a love for others, that you would accomplish your goals, your missions through us and not in spite of us. I pray these things in your name. Amen.